Welcome back to the program. I'm Rubina Ahmed, Hawk sitting in for Alex Pearson, and this is On Point. It's a story that has been developing over the last 48 hours, the uh, killing of 19 children and two teachers in a school in Texas. Uh, it doesn't just affect the people in the United States. It affects us here in Canada, too. Uh, we obviously have very good relationships with our American uh, cousins, and when something happens there, we you know, our news covers it in a way that it, it's, it's, uh, it happened on our own, in our own country. There is some news coming out today of what went down in the moments or the sort of 60 minutes to 90 minutes uh, in that time when the gunman was in the school. And uh, there were some conflicting reports in the beginning uh, of how, how soon uh, police were able to get in there, how law enforcement reacted. But now we're getting a bit more detail of what it was like for the people outside and also for uh, the children who were inside the school, including those who perished. I wanted to bring somebody who's on the ground, who's been following the story much more closely than I have. Nicole Norea is a politics reporter for Vox News. Uh, thanks for joining us, Nicole. And I want to ask you, where are you joining us from? Uh, I'm in Austin, Texas. Uh, so, Nicole, um, I wanted to first start by asking you, there is a lot of criticism now uh, being uh, lauded at the the, 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 the the police force about a delay in storming the school. Can you tell us what the latest is when it comes to some of the details coming out with how law enforcement reacted when the first 911 calls came in? Yeah, so at this point, um, we're still trying to piece together the timeline of what happened, and, and so is Texas law enforcement, but the official accounts of what happened have been changing by the day. Um, and, you know, I think media is trying to confirm what, what law enforcement is saying. Um, so initially, you know, officials had said that an armed police officer employed by the school had confronted the shooter and that they had exchanged gunfire before he entered the school. But they reversed course on, on Thursday and said that the, the shooter had been unobstructed when entering the school and that he got in through an unlocked back door and that there actually was no armed school officer. So that, that was one of the first points of um, sort of contradiction in, in the reporting there. Um, there's also been conflicting reports uh, from law enforcement as to whether the shooter barricaded himself inside the fourth grade classroom where all the victims were shot um, or whether police officers actually contained him there purposefully. Um, and, and obviously that's concerning because if there were children who were alive in that classroom, um, uh, it's kind of an unthinkable prospect. Um, and as you said, it's, it's not clear um, why law enforcement waited so long to actually enter the classroom and end the standoff. You know, there was about a 40 to 60 minute period where we don't really know what was, what was happening, um, where police officers were, weren't getting in that classroom. Um, and we don't know that had, you know, police officers uh, entered sooner, whether more deaths could have been prevented um, and, and, you know, the, the shooter could have been uh, neutralized sooner. Um, we also have seen some reports of a Texas Department of Public Safety lieutenant told local news that um, some officers had gone inside to save their own kids before the shooter was eliminated. Um, mm -hmm. And eventually they apparently entered the classroom using a master key. Provided so by the staff. what are the details on that? Because that's something that we're hearing uh, parents outside the school were saying, you know, we can hear the shooting, which just sounds, I can't even imagine. My daughter is 10 years old in grade four. I can't even imagine what those parents were experiencing at that moment. Um, they, they wanted to go in the school. What are the details on that? The parents that were outside that were insisting they wanted to go in and get their kids. Yeah. I mean, it's a harrowing, um, account from them. We now have some video of, of parents who are outside of the school, urging police to go inside. Um, and even talking about storming the school themselves because police weren't doing anything and, and were in their words, unprepared. Um, you know, I think we've also seen some reports that 
parents were getting tased when they were um, trying to enter the school and law enforcement officials have been saying that they were just trying to create a perimeter around the school to avoid, um, you know, more people getting hurt. But um, the fact that they were not going inside um, it is really troubling. Um, and we don't really have details on, on why that wasn't happening at this point. Um, but, you know, I think one thing to note here is that in the U.S., uh, police officers don't have an obligation, a legal obligation to intervene um, in a shooting like this. And, and I think that's kind of coming to light here. You know, they may have a, a moral or ethical obligation to do that. But um, I think there's a question as to whether there should be some legal um, uh, mandate there. And the the, um, the security guard that was supposedly armed, did he just, he or she not exist or they never came in contact? Like, what's the story there that it just never happened? Or does the school have an armed security guard there all the time when the kids are in school? So there, there was one on payroll, but they were not there at the time of the shooting. Um, so that was something that was confirmed by officials today. Um, you know, it's just confusing as to, why they reached that conclusion previously that there might've been even gunfire exchanged between them when, um, that just wasn't the case. So yeah, we're still looking for more details as to why, um, that person wasn't there. And, you know, I think also something worth mentioning though, is that even if they had been there, um, what we know from studies is, is that, uh, schools that have armed guards, um, you know, aren't necessarily more successful in, in preparing and in, in preventing gun deaths in, in these kinds of situations. So, um, and in fact, I think gun, gun deaths are even higher. Um, and at least, you know, I, I think I've just read a study that, um, since the nineties, uh, evaluating mass shootings in schools, um, yeah, gun deaths are, are higher in cases where there is an armed guard outside. Where there is an armed guard outside that, that is a very devastating statistic. I'm considering, um, how much we hear, at least here in Canada, uh, about, a lobbyist saying, you know, we have to stop, uh, we have to stop a bad guy with a gun with a good guy with a gun and putting more, you know, the, I, I remember after Sandy Hook, there was talks of arming teachers and other sort of um, what seems insane ideas of how to protect kids in school. I don't know how big um, the police force is in, is in the town, but it, was there many different um, uh, law enforcement departments involved? Was there a miscommunication because there was different there was different levels of, uh, of enforcement involved. What was the scene like when the first 911 calls came? Who, who first arrives at the scene? Um, yeah, so it, it was first police in, um, uh, in Uvalde, but, you know, they quickly sort of called in people um, with more expertise in these kinds of situations. Um, I, I think we're, we're still trying to figure out the timeline of exactly how quickly everybody arrived. Um, because I think there's also been reports that uh, two officers initially entered the building um, soon after the gunman did, um, but were shot. But again, these are it's still a very evolving um, investigation here. So I, I just want to caveat it with that. Um, the, the facts are still definitely emerging on this. Um, but but there were other agents. It was actually um, a border patrol agent that eventually um, shot and killed the uh, the the shooter. So um, there there were a lot of different agents on, on the ground there. Have you had a chance to speak to any of the family members, uh, especially of the victims, uh, and uh, and and hear what they're saying right now? Haven't, and you know, I think that's been sort of a uh, a decision on part of my news organization not to um, disturb them at this time. I think there's you know conversations to be had about when is the right moment to approach these families when they're uh, in the midst of this kind of trauma. Um, it, it's it's just it's hard, um, 
and I wouldn't want to impose that on them, but um, the accounts that we've, we've heard in the media from families are, are pretty harrowing. You know, a few, a few of the children were on, you know, had just made the school's honor roll that morning and there was a, a ceremony at the school um, to award them um, with those honor roll certificates. And then just hours later, uh, that was the last time they, they would ever go back to school. So, um, and then today was supposed to be the last day of the term. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was supposed to be a happy time and uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just devastating. You know, Nicole, this is a bit of a left turn and probably not expecting this question, but yesterday we talked about uh, PTSD among journalists. Um, there was a report that came out yesterday in Canada that uh, gathered, um, you know, the experiences of journalists here, especially during the pandemic and how they've been faring, their mental health has been faring and overwhelmingly um, journalists are feeling uh, the effects of stories they're covering, of the way that journalists have been treated, fake news, you know, this 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 idea that we're out to spread lies, uh, how that is affecting mental health. Many here in Canada have taken leave uh, because uh, they are suffering from PTSD. I wanted to ask you how how you're doing um, covering a story like this and 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 being a reporter that's that covers these type of uh, horrific um, events uh, and, and you know our job is to get the facts and to to get the details and present them as clearly as possible. But I wanted to to know how you're doing uh, considering how devastating the story is. Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. You know, I think um, at the end of the day, we are journalists, but we are also human beings and um, these kinds of situations, uh, how can you not be emotionally affected by what's happening? Um, but I think that also makes you a better journalist. Um, it, but you know, of course it, it is overwhelming at times, um, uh, to cover these and try to be clear eyed. But I think what gives me, um, some consolation in moments like this is that, uh, maybe most other members of the public feel quite powerless in these moments, but at the very least, I feel like I have a job to do, which is to inform people. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. Nicole, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for joining us today and for uh, giving us an update on, you know, what happened in the, in the, the minutes and the hour, that sort of crucial time right after those first 911 calls came in, um, and breaking that down for us. Thank you so much, Nicole. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. That was Nicole Nerea. She's a politics reporter for Vox News. She, we reached her in Austin, Texas. Uh, she's covering uh, the horrific shooting that's that happened in Texas uh, 48 hours ago and some of the new details that are coming out about how law enforcement reacted, uh, what was actually going on in front of the school, what the parents were seeing and hearing, and some of the terrible videos, one in particular, which I've seen now, of the gunman actually entering the school because a door was unlocked. I'm Rabina Ahmed Huck. This is On Point. We're going to take a quick break.